Well, good morning. How are you? What a blessing to see you this morning. Good to be with you in the church. Thank you for uh, your love for the Lord and coming today and realizing there's still many that would probably uh, be here if they could. And some can't because of physical and uh, medical reasons and some because they're not really comfortable with the situation outside with the virus. But nevertheless, we're going to continue to encourage one another and uh, be strengthened in the fact that even in our physical distancing, we have a, a great uh, way to bring out the holiness of, a, of an internal uh, camaraderie. And I think one thing this virus has done in our sheltering in and getting us away from as much social life as we were accustomed to, that God has blessed us to know that, that love or distance can make love grow stronger. And so I appreciate that. I, I'm not able to uh, visit with you physically as much as I'd like to. I'd like to be able to walk up and down the pews, and hopefully I can do that very soon and, and see you and visit you. And I want to make up for a lot of that in, in the times to come, and I know you do too. But I sure thank you for your faithful witness and for, uh, for all you're doing and your vocations and your professional careers and, and your homes and, and all that you do, certainly for your prayers. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace and we thank you so much for loving us and for bringing us here today. There's no other place we'd really rather be. We thank you, Lord, for the great mystery of godliness that you've imputed in us, the righteousness of Christ, which is in direct opposition with the ways of the world. And yet, Lord, we still have that struggle somewhere in our souls. We thank you so much for the great victory that is in Christ. And we know, Lord, and have experienced that he that is within us is greater than he that is in the world. But we know that he is in the world, and that is Satan. And we thank you, Lord, that you've overcome him. We thank you for the victory on the cross of Calvary. And we come this morning to celebrate the greatest event of all time, the resurrection. And we're thankful, Lord, that you made us a part of that by your redeeming grace. You didn't have to do it, but Lord, you loved us so much, and you know exactly what we would need to be able to approach into your throne of grace that we endeavor to do, and bless your holy name. Would you bless us, O oh God, for Jesus' sake today? We thank you, Lord, for protecting us. So many of us, you protected from the virus, and others, and various families, and our associates that have had to deal with it. Many have recovered. And though, Lord, we know that many lives have been lost, we thank you for your great mercy and grace. We pray, O oh Lord, for our broken nation. We pray, O oh Lord, for our leaders and that you would seal the hatred that is so evident in so many hearts, that you would bless us somehow, some way, Lord, to have some unity. We ask you, Lord, to bless this church and all those that are visiting with us, worshiping with us on the Internet and other areas, those that would like to be here that can't be, that have other, no other means of communicating other than your Holy Spirit. Would you touch them right now, O oh Lord, and give them peace? comfort and strength. You ask your Lord to help me now as I try to lift up your holy word. My desire is, Heavenly Father, to glorify you and to feed your people, the people of God, the sheep of your pasture. I would appreciate it if you would use me and bless me, and I promise you, Lord, I won't take any credit myself. I know better. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. We just bow before you humbly as we know how. And yet, Lord, we pray that you remove all pride and doubts and fears from our lives. Give us a straightforwardness to look at ourselves in the mirror and see Jesus on the cross, the background of all our lives. Paid our sins, 
giving us, Lord, this opportunity one more time to say we love you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So I want to talk to you today about don't play the blame game. I think one of the greatest undermining, invisible uh, tragedies of the coronavirus has been that it's brought out so much blame, so much hatred. Uh, and I'm talking to the choir, so to speak, as God's people. But I, I know in my own self, I think I have to be careful about not blaming uh, others uh, or even God for some of the situations that we have to deal with in our lives. Uh, it's a great peril of life. We're talking about a series we're trying to put together of gripping life through tough times. Um, and I believe that this fits that, that is blaming. Because once you start blaming, you lose your focus of God. You can't hold on to your blame and hold on to God too. Uh, I guess you could put it in a nutshell, you can't serve two masters. You can't. And, and I think that's one way we do it, when we try to blame uh, others or, or blame God and, and still try to ask God to help us and bless us. Now, now I know that is kind of a, a strange way to put it, but I think we can do it. Uh, that, that is something that we have to struggle with. And I just want to ask God to help us. And we see from Scripture the great... Uh, uh, calamity that this blaming deal causes. First of all, you cannot win the blame game. You can't. Uh, it's not a game that God has originated. Jesus Christ took all your blame and mine and others. Uh, uh, so, so we won't win. It's just going to make things worse. When you start blaming others for anything that's going on and blaming God, maybe indirectly, uh, I think is, a, is a really a form of idolatry, and it separates us from God. And uh, I kind of think about it like this. I was thinking last night, uh, blaming leads to complaining, and complaining means that sin is remaining, okay? And so that's where we have to be careful with it. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis, the very seedbed of the Bible. I think Genesis chapter 3, that's where I'm going to ask you to turn, is probably one of the most condensed narrative, if you could say that, of God's plan of salvation, the fall of man, uh, the way Satan deals with it, our great need of grace, our utter, or, or rather our depravity without God and what it need, what's needful to save us, right here in Genesis chapter 3, you'll find that. And the thing about Genesis chapter 3 is when we see the devil. Now we've talked about the devil just a little bit, but we're going to mention him today again. Because you're going to see here what the devil does See, the devil is not some being that just tried to hang around the, 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 the drug alleys and uh, uh, prostitute houses and those kind of places. No, no. What he does, he will be with you in your car when you're at a traffic light. And he will get in your mind. And he will try to get between your soul and God. You got it? 
He's going to deal with you. He doesn't have to wait till you get in a place where evil is certainly promoted. What he does, he gets with you in the private times of life. When you least expect it. Even in religion. So, so we're going to see this. Here's Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had a perfect environment. It's a place called Eden that God says is very good. Uh, it's a place that up to this point there's no sin. But here's the deal. God gave a commandment to Adam and Eve. There was one tree that they did not were not supposed to eat. Now God commanded that. I don't know why God commanded it, but he had every right to. God is the commander of all the universe. We did not make ourselves. We were created by God. So God has a right to tell us or make a requirement for us. We are all under God's government. As far as his people, we are. And so, so what happens, Satan wants to come in between that. And that's what happened. And let's start reading. I wanted to, to start uh, maybe at verse 8, Genesis chapter 3. Would you look at it with me? And it says there, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now they heard the voice of the Lord God. And obviously God had communicated with them before. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. Now there's no way we can hide from God, but they were going to try. And they did that. Now something had to cause that. And that same something is going to cause the blame game to be played. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Now see, see what's happened? They're playing the bullying game. Now it doesn't say what the serpent said, but we know he didn't have a leg to stand on, did we? He didn't have it. He couldn't come back. But Adam and Eve had a way of saying, not me. I want my fault that I did. You know, the thing is, well, the quicker we can come to understanding that we are responsible. See, the thing about following God is when we're disobedient to God, it's our fault. Every day we get up, a child of God, you have to make a decision if you're going to follow God or not, okay? And if you disobey, no reason that you and I can blame anybody else. And the quicker we embrace that, the, the better we're going to be able to press on 
through the hard, tough times of life, because we're going to have it. We are. And so, so here we see the very basis for, for what sin brings into the world. It brings blame. It, brings, it breathes hatred. And it brings a separation from God and ultimately death. Now, playing this blame game like Adam and Eve and the serpent leads to, and we're not going to read them all, but God's cursing the woman, the man, and the serpent. So we can see that God does not want us to play the blame game. He doesn't. So may God help us. I think one of the great freedoms of truth is understanding that we don't play the blame game. And really, when you think about it, a believer in Christ, a person who has been saved by God's amazing grace, my goodness, if we're going to have the audacity to blame God or anybody for any discomfort, for any problem, for even any evil that is committed against us, then my friends, we really haven't come to understand the grip that we have on our tires of faith to get through the mud of life because God has saved us by his grace and whatever comes in our life has to come through God and you can be sure it is not to blame anybody else or God you remember Jesus condensed all the commandments of God into just two and that is to love your Lord the God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, you can't do that if you're going to blame them too. You can't. So, may God help us to see that and, and bless us to know it. First of all, I want to just say, this is just really simple, these three little points I want to do. And I'm going to try to finish it. You know, I've stretch my time a little bit preaching because we don't have singing. Have you noticed? <laughs> I'm going to try to get better about that. I really am. I, I think sometimes my preaching is about like cutting okra. You know, I have okra in my garden. And uh, I, every time I go out and cut okra, and it seemed like I did it every day or two, I would bring a bucket into the house and Penny would throw half of it away. She said it's too hard. Randy, you left it out there too long. I think preaching can be like that. You got me? So bear with me. I'll try to do better. You know, you can just leave it there too long. And, and you just miss the blessings of it all. I realize that. I, I've been in the pews before too. I know among uh, hearing greater preachers than this little boy. But anyway, so I want to say three things uh, that will help us all. And I don't believe anybody in this room wants to play the blame game. And I don't think you do, and you thank God, but, but we're involved in it. It's all around us, and we see it. You know, we, we see it in politics. I mean, you know, the, the whole Democratic National Convention was about blaming President Trump. And I'm sure the Republican Convention is probably going to be about the same tone. It's going to be, who can I blame? I don't want to, you know, the thing about our lives is this. And this is where we need to not play the blame game. You know, we all have struggles. Life is tough 
I'm not going to tell you it's not. But here's the deal. You know how you determine if you're really making it through the muck or not? When you start blaming somebody else, then you have just bogged down in life. Okay? As long as you're willing to accept the responsibility, come what may, and know that God is going to help you and that God has a purpose in it and that in the end, it's going to come out the way God wants it to. Now, that's what we got to get into. Uh, because of Satan, he is a being that starts on the outside and works on the inside. So what we got to do is shake all that out. Satan and evil and blame it. See, what Satan will do is he did the Adam and Eve. What brought this blame game to be? So Satan said, really God didn't say that. I mean, that's what the world's saying today. Really, that's not the way it is. You know, he starts altering God's word. You start altering God's word, you're going to end up having to blame somebody. And so what happens, he starts um, minimizing what God said. As we said last week, let's put that on the back burner, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. That's just old fogey. But I'm here to tell you that God does not change. We need God's Word. And we need it desperately right in the midst of this pandemic. We need it desperately. And I want to say, all you young parents that are bringing up your children, I'm going to pray for you more fervently. Because you need the Spirit of God to impress upon you of teaching your children the true Word of God. Because I believe that in the world today, we are faced more with, it's not that it hasn't been there before, but I believe the boldness of actually the opposite of God's Word is promoted. So I want you to know what you're in for. And I pray that God would give you a passion and a heart to bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of God. Because the world, the schools, um, even some churches are not going to do it. And I pray that you as a parent would be the ultimate youth director in your life, in your children's life. So, so first of all, we see how Satan operates. We see that he's conniving, that he's, that he's a liar, that he's so subtle. He makes it look so good. And then when it's all over, we have a conscience. That's what happened. You know, Adam and Eve had a conscience. That's why they were hiding. Just because you have a conscience alone will not bring you to God. You've got to have the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man... That is a person that has not experienced God's amazing grace, receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them. I can tell you one thing that will get you out of the blame game. You know what? You think about how God has blessed you and give you the impressions of who Jesus is in your life, even convincing you of the guilt of your sin, and you know that you have a part of you that knows that Jesus loves you, that he died for your sins. You might not know all the theology, but you thank God for that. Because he says, the Father in heaven has to reveal them things, those things to you. 
And it's a good blessing. It's a great blessing. But Satan will try to deal with it. And he will, he will, uh, he's pretty successful in it so many places. I want to say three things quickly. One, don't blame God. That's my first point. Do not blame God. Now you look at me and I, I think about it too. And I say, why should I say this to these guys? They are not blaming God. But you know, I don't know. I think that we all, we, we, our hearts are, are capable of being desperately wicked. And when you blame God, you know what? That is sin. That is sin. And ultimately, when you're blaming others, you're blaming God. So, so what you happen, when, when, when we get to this point, we can't play the blame game and blame God because when you blame God, you're blaming goodness. Because God is good. And God is good all the time. You might say, well, why did God allow this to happen? Why did he let this in my life? I don't know. But I know that he's good. And I know that he's not the author of evil. Hey, listen to it like this. God, see, when you get to the point where in your mind you think about blaming God, I'm not saying you're going to dwell in it, but you might have a tinge of it, hear me? And I mean, that's how the devil works. So what you're going to do is go to the big verses about God. The big God verses. Like Psalms 115, verse 3. You know, God does whatsoever he will. Or Lamentations 3. Or Daniel 4, where Nebuchadnezzar comes to the point that God is greater than all. We're just like grasshoppers. See, you get on those verses, and you won't blame God. See, God, every time you see goodness, God stands behind it. He stands directly behind all goodness. Because all things work together for good, according to God. For them that love Him, them that are called according to His purpose. That is you, I believe that. And then, all the evil, we got to deal with it. I already said this, life is tough, the road gets muddy. I mean, life hurts. And but yet, God is also involved, but he's involved indirectly. You see, God is not the author of evil. He's not. In, um, in um, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, here's Joseph. And Joseph was treated harshly by his very brothers because of jealousy. And so he goes to prison unjustly he 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 just spilled out there he's beaten he's lied about and yet when he gets to that verse you know what joseph said he says you meant it for evil but god meant it for good how many things in life you know we see the evil that's around who knows that god is not meaning this meaning this for good i believe that i believe that in our life so god is goodness and and we understand and we bless him in it. Uh, you know what? We, we think about how we need to walk on this life. How we need to grip. And it needs to be thanking God. We need to be thanking God, not blaming God. We don't have any right to blame God. So we need to thank him and bless his holy name in every way. Um, you know, when I think about in the Bible, 
Um, I think about Aaron. And in these Bible characters, we can see these examples of us. I mean, we see Adam kind of blame somebody, you know, but Jesus on the cross, Jesus was crucified. He never blamed anybody. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So, so when you think about that, we see the greatness of God in our life. You know, I was thinking about what happened to Adam and Eve. I mentioned the conscious. The conscious calls them the high. But they hid behind the wrong things. Their own righteousness. The fig leaves of life. What are we trying to hide behind? Our religion? Um, our good looks? Our bad looks? Our abilities? I'm going to tell you, it won't work. You don't suit up to that. Because when you do, you're going to end up playing the blame game. You're wearing the wrong uniform. When God put His righteousness on you through the merits of Christ... He meant for us to be a new creature. And he means for us not to play the blame game. Now there's a lot of things God doesn't want us to do. And I believe this is one of them. That we're not to blame. But where it comes from is understanding that what Satan did in the Garden of Eden affected us. Because we have all fallen. All humanity. See, that's depravity. I believe that if there's two critical things for believers to embrace, if you want to get your mind right on theology, number one is the fall of man right here in chapter 3. A few chapters over, the other event is the, the flood where Noah and his wife and his three sons of the earth was found grace and everybody else, every other creature was destroyed by God because of evil. See, God, when you get those two things right, and understanding that depravity, that is, they had no ability to come to God. They were running to God, but God goes to them. And see, your conscience will make you guilty. Everybody is created in the image of God. All the children of God and those are not. Every human being is created in the image of God and has a conscience. But the deal is, and I said, the conscience is not enough. So God takes the initiative and he goes to them and he questions them, not because he needed to find out, but he wanted them to see their dilemma. And so when we see our dilemma, we see what God has done for us. Because God closed them, you remember later in this chapter? He closed them, he kills an animal and takes his skin and clothes them. See, they saw their shame. That's what the conscience does. But either you deal with your shame and failures by blaming others, or you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you are so full of Jesus, you won't be so full of yourself, and you won't try to pride yourself and you will let the proudness get away and it will humble you so that you won't be blaming others or God. So we see this in chapter 3. First, secondly, don't blame others. Now, obviously we see this blaming others. Adam blamed the woman. The woman blamed the devil. See? 
So that's, we get that naturally. I mean, we're going to blame somebody. That's what we like to do. And, and actually, in the world today, you see, see, this is where our culture, as I see it, and, and certainly I'm not, we have now everything is psychiatric. It is, in a way. It is it's a situation where, you know, you take homosexuality. It is, is promoted in some arenas. Um, you know, uh, alcoholism, drug, I mean, it's all, it's all because of your environment. It's all because of, of your heredity. You have these problems. See, that is just the reverse of what God started off here in Genesis to reveal to man so that we wouldn't blame others. See, the deal is this Freudian uh, psychology, so to speak, will say they do away with um, truth. And I mean, join Pilate. You remember when Jesus was crucified? He said, what is truth? And so instead of being um, in need of God, we then see ourselves as the victims. Everybody's a victim, okay? See, that is, that is the social psychology of the world today, as I see it. You've got to be a victim. Somebody did this to you. You know, maybe your great-great-grandfather owned a plantation that my great-grandfather was a slave on, so I'm going to blame you. You know, I found out the other day, one of my relatives, distant relatives, does all this genealogy, and he told me, standing beside my truck, he said, you know, our ancestors were Vikings. And you know what? I found out Vikings, a lot of them were, were a lot worse than slave traders. You know, so what am I going to do? I'm going to blame my ancestors. You know, you can find somebody to blame. But God says, do not blame others, okay? So the deal is, instead of saying, Jesus is the truth, and that we started off fallen. See, see the psychology of today and of all socialism will teach us that we are entitled to have a better life because it's been taken away from us. Let's blame the police because we're in jail. How about that? Let's blame the government. Let's blame the church. I mean, blame somebody. And you know what? When you're blaming somebody, it really alludes that you're already a failure. And you just got to find a way out. Just like Adam and Eve, you're trying to hide behind the fig leaf. And God knows your heart. And it won't work. It won't. So, so we see that. And, and yet when we see the true uh, a way that God has given us, we see that we started off. I'm talking about we as men. Adam, our representative, our federal head. We started off in a perfect environment. We started off with a perfect heritage. No sin. What happened? We lost it all. We didn't start off with a bad situation and try to work ourselves up. No. That's just the opposite. And I believe really, I believe really in my heart that we see so much in this world that we're just shocked. I never would have thought we'd see some of the things we've seen in our world. Would you? In the last few year, months? I wouldn't. No telling what else is coming, but I'm going to tell you. It's because we've got it upside down. 
And we need to come to Jesus and bless him. And we don't need to blame others. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, here's what it says. Here's the Sermon on the Mount, or at least a part of it. And Jesus is the one that's doing the talking, and we ought to be mindful of that. You know, we got a situation in our lives when we're blaming others. Here's what we've got to be careful of. Sometimes we're going to find a fault, and we're going to say, that's wrong. Now, now get me, understand me. Now, it's all right to be angry about sin. It is. But it's not all right to be angry about goodness. And sometimes we got to see, I mean, Jesus found the money changers in the temple. And he had a righteous anger. And it's hard for us to have that. I know mine's not so righteous sometimes, I'm afraid. And I blame others. And, you know, I was thinking, I can remember in my life, I would be uh, looking for a particular tool or something around the house. And I would start blaming somebody because I couldn't find it. And, you know, when it was all over, it's right where I left it. And I think that's going to find in our lives the things we try to blame others for. Well, Jesus says in verse... uh, 3 of Matthew 7 and why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye but considerest not the being that is in thine own eye or how wilt thou say to thy brother let me pull out the mote out of thine eye and behold a beam is in thine own eye thou hypocrite first cast out the beam out of thine own eye and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye see we have a tendency to look around the world and people that don't agree with us, we think they're just wrong. You know, the truth is, we might be, <laughs> you know. Sometimes we need to understand in our own eyes, we need to make sure it lines up with God's eyes. The eye is so sensitive, though, it's hard to deal with your eye. And it's hard to deal with it physically and even harder spiritually. Because what we do sometimes is look when we see somebody we might not like personally, we don't like the way they're acting, then we're gonna, we don't really want to find anything too good anyway. We'd rather blame them. You know, we like the gossip and we like that juicy part. And really, we ought to be loving them. We ought to be thanking God. We could be the same way, if not by His grace. So we don't need to blame others. Don't blame others. You know... Uh, It's hard to not respond in our lives. Uh, and this, uh, this covers a lot of ground. I remember, this has been years ago, I spoke at a conference somewhere, and I, I tried to talk about forgiveness. And, and, and a lady came over here from a different town and called me and wanted to speak to me, and she did, sit in my office, and she was sitting there on that sofa weeping. And you know what she said to me? And I, I never thought about this. She says, what you said, and I was talking about not blaming others and part of that forgiveness talk. She said, my husband, when we were young in our marriage, was coming home late from work one night, two miles from our house. And he was in an accident, an automobile accident, and died. And she said, I have never forgiven him. 
for that. Now you think about it. Now I can say like, I don't know how to be, but that, that lady was broken. And she said, now I see the blessings of that. You know, you can, you can blame others. And, and you can blame others for things that ought not to be blamed. And um, it ought not to be like that. We can blame others. And God says, don't blame others. Jesus didn't. You know, when we understand, like David, you know, when I think about King Saul, he blamed the people, you know, for taking the sheep and those things God said not to do. He, well, he blamed the people. Moses, you remember, said one time, well, God, it's these people that are so hard-hearted that you gave me. I mean, you, you can find somebody to blame. But, but that really it won't end up anywhere. Don't play that game, okay? Um, so when you think about it, I mean, we don't have a leg to stand on either when we're blaming others. We don't. And then lastly, don't blame yourself. Don't blame yourself. Because you and I are not going to get through this life without making mistakes without failures in our life. So, so you think about it. If you're going through, we're talking about gripping life in times of trouble. It's tough enough when you don't have to blame. But, but if you're going to blame yourself and you've got, you've got a, 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 a pile of regrets. Oh, I, I wish I'd have, I'd have done this or that. Or hadn't done this or that. You, you're not going to get far. You're going to bog down in life, okay? You, you can't take that with you. Or, or if you've got a, a brick load of fears, I'm going to tell you, you, you know what, when you're in a fear and it's done in a way that, that you doubt life and doubt God and doubt everybody, man, I mean, I mean you, you have a blame there. Or, or you try to rewrite your past, you know, and you find you can't, and you say, gosh, I, I just, I'm just so taken with this. Don't blame yourself. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when you blame yourself, you're doing something that God don't do. Turn with me to Ephesians verse 4 of chapter 1. Would you please look at that with me? It'll bring you lots of comfort if you're trying to blame yourself. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4. You probably know that verse. It has this to say, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Why then are you going to blame yourself when God doesn't blame you? Now, if you sin and you confess that sin, God is not blaming you because that has been put on Christ, okay? See, that thief on the cross that confessed that Jesus had done nothing amiss, he, he, was, he was convicted of who Christ was. 
He didn't didn't blame himself for being a thief, but he trusted in God. He acknowledged that he was a thief because of his, his contentment, his realization that he was being there justly. He said that. And David, when he was confronted by Nathan, you remember after after murdering Uriah and committing adultery with Bathsheba, and Nathan comes to him and says, Thou art the man. David did not run under the bush or run away and said, Oh, somebody else made me do it. He says, I have sinned against God. And Nathan said, the Lord hath also forgiven thee. Man, that is comfort. When you can say, I have sinned against God. And know that God, in that confession, does not blame you. So you can't control about what everybody else is doing. You can't do everything for everybody else. Your responsibility and mine is to preach the gospel every day of our lives. You're to tell them about the goodness of God just in the way you act and react. But as I said not long ago, you can tell them now, if you jump off that house, you can get hurt. But now you can't stop the jumping. You don't need to blame yourself if they jump anyway. We need to be responsible to obey God and to hold to Him in every way. See, God is not performance-based. The love of God. You know what? I know that. I bet you do too. Because, listen, I have done numerous things that, that would ought to make God not love me. And not one of them has changed him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's what God says. He says, I've chosen you. And I've put you in Christ. And Christ has given his righteousness to you. I'm not blaming you. And how in the world are we going to blame God or anybody else? You know, we might have made a sorry mess of life. We might have fell into some hard going. But you know what? God, you watch Him. God can bring good. You know, redemption is is powerful. Redemption will will cause us to bring all those times of our our waywardness back. See, See, because of God's grace, we're not We've been dealt with. We've been blessed. Well, let me say it like this. What Adam did, if you want to compare what the first Adam did and the second Adam, who was Christ, did, what the second Adam, Christ, did is multiplied a million times better than what the first Adam did. Now, who are we going to emulate? We're to be conformed to Christ. Not trying to blame everybody. You know, not, you know, the ball game, you know, uh, your team lose, whether it's the referee's fault. Or the coach made a bad decision. Or maybe something's wrong with the church. Well, let's blame the preacher or the deacons. I mean, we want to see what's good with life. What's good with this nation. 
See, see blaming will, will make you so radical and, and, and binge, go in binges of hatred. I mean, let's blame the statues. I mean, how, how smart is that? You know, let's just tear it down. Let's just blame somebody. I mean, just beat in the wall. Break out the windows. Blame them. When we ought to be just humbly comfortable God. Say, you know what? God doesn't blame me. I'm without blame through Christ. Not because of what I did. Because of what Christ did. See, we're in a better... See, we've been made heirs of righteousness. We're joint heirs with Christ. He's made us to sit together in heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. He's taken uh, our sinfulness and he's given us his robe of righteousness. And we'll live for him forever in heaven. May the Lord bless us. Keep us close to him. And if you're in the blame game, ask God to help you. Get out of it. You don't need to play that game. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. Would you bow with me? We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your love and mercy. We know, Lord, that sometimes in your ways that we don't understand, we have to deal with evil and tragedy, hurt. And we know, Lord, that you know our frame, that we're just dust. And we know, Lord, that you know that we say sometimes things when we're hurting that we don't really mean. We thank you, Lord, that you forgive us. We thank you, Lord, that when we stand before you in heaven, we, we won't have any blame. It's not because we've gotten so good. It's because of your goodness has overwhelmed us. Bless us, Heavenly Father, to rejoice. Bless us, Lord, as a nation, as a church, as a family. Oh God, to not to be blaming you or others or ourselves. We thank you, Lord, for the freedom that's in Christ. For we know that the cross of Calvary is where the, all the blame met, met and where it's all taken away. Thank you, Lord, for taking the blame for us and not accusing anybody else, but submitting unto the Father. May we, Lord, be like you by your grace and be able to say as you said on that cross to thy hands, Father, I commend my spirit. Help us, Lord, not to have a spirit of blaming, but of love and of humility and of wanting to help others that are in such an irate case. Bless us, O oh God. Help us to rejoice in your greatness in our lives. Help us to take every opportunity to lift up high the cross of Calvary instead of blaming anyone, anything, or any reason. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.